Blog Talk Radio.
since there has been a lot of media around hashtag MeToo, investigations at the workplace have become more critical and important. And so we wanted to talk a little bit today about your role as an investigator, um, how to conduct those investigations, and also the interviewing process with those investigations. Felicia is going to send over your email questions, and we will have those, and we'll do our best to address as many of those as we can at the end of our presentation here today. So, as you all know, either as owners of your businesses or as HR professionals, the reason why we must conduct investigations when we receive a complaint of discrimination is because they are a defense to liability and damages in the event that you have an employee who actually moves forward and files a charge of discrimination with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission or files a litigation. So when we conduct investigations, it's important that they are thorough, they are in-depth, and that you are getting all the information you need to defend yourself and present the strongest defense you can. So how would we define a good investigation? A good investigation is one that is backed by policy that has a complaint procedure for your employees. We need to have a trained professional who's receiving those complaints, and your investigation needs to be timely done with consideration given as to who is the appropriate individual to conduct that investigation for you. You're going to talk to interview, uh, interview your witnesses. You're going to speak with the person who's being accused of misconduct. Um, you're going to document those interviews, and then you're going to collect relevant documents, and you're going to keep them in a secure location so that you have them in the event litigation does progress. As the investigator, if you're fulfilling that role yourself or having a, a, another HR professional fulfill that role for you, you want to confirm that your investigator does not have any biases, that they are a good listener, that they're conducting an appropriate investigation. So, for example, that they're interviewing the correct people. You want to give appropriate attention to detail, reach reasonable conclusions, you need to document that investigation. And if it's appropriate, either you or your investigator needs to be prepared to offer a remedy to resolve the situation. Now, having given you that overview, I'm going to turn it over to Gary. He's going to talk more specifically about your role as an investigator and how you would conduct and move forward with that investigation. Thanks, Jackie. And, um, you know, let's face it. Um, there's more and more complaints in the workplace, and you need as an employer, as a manager, as a supervisor to respond to those complaints. You can't simply ignore them. So the investigation process uh, typically begins because there's a complaint. Someone has made a complaint in the workplace. That complaint is either for harassment of some sort or discrimination of some sort or retaliation, and... Um, once you get that complaint, you immediately have to take steps to conduct that investigation. You have to plan that investigation. You have to conduct the investigation. You have to make a decision with, after you've taken in all the evidence that you can during that investigation. And then finally, you immortalize that by documenting it. Um, the, the key to any good investigation in the workplace is being objective. Um, the, the one thing I always tell my clients is at the end of an investigation when you're making a decision about uh, whom to believe or whether there should be discipline of a certain employee, a harasser, for example, 
You don't have to be right. Uh, ultimately, your conclusion has to be based on objective evidence. It has to be made in good faith, and it has to be reasoned. It doesn't have to ultimately be right. Um, and that's an important thing to understand because a lot of employers get intimidated by that because they think they're playing jury and they need to uh, ultimately find the truth. Well, sometimes the truth is going to be uh, a he said, she said, and you're never going to get there. But if you're objective and you've used good faith and you've exhausted all your resources with respect to the investigation, you're going to be fine. Um, one thing you don't want to do in any point of the investigative process is to use legal conclusions. Um, when you immortalize that document at the end of an investigation, um, you don't want, as a non-lawyer, to make legal conclusions about liability, criminal or otherwise. Uh, and don't put words in anyone's mouth, whether it is the person who brought forth the complaint or um, the, the alleged um, harasser, for example. You want to look at the following documents that may be relevant to the investigation. You want to look at personnel files. You want to look at time cards. You want to look at medical files. You want to look at expense files, project files. Any document that is relevant to an investigation in the workplace needs to be vetted, needs to be reviewed. Um, in this day and age, electronically stored information is critical. So uh, if there's a complaint in the workplace, you need to be looking at both the complainants and the alleged harasser or uh, the alleged perpetrator's uh, email accounts, um, computer disks, any stored email, any video recordings in the workplace, any uh, security camera footage, any internet searches, voicemail, anything electronically stored which may lend credence or evidence to your investigation needs to be reviewed by you. When you are interviewing witnesses, and let's face it, uh, the first individual you're going to interview is the complainant himself or herself. You need to find out the story. You need to find out uh, what facts or evidence, uh, what the specific complaint is, whether there are any witnesses to the alleged uh, incident, and um, in, in, in where it took place and when and how often. So you're doing that, and then you go and you, you, you interview corroborating witnesses that may have been brought up by the complainant. Um, with each one of those witnesses, you have to make sure that you are telling that witness why he or she is being interviewed, you want to make sure that you address with that witness the confidential nature of your investigation. And confidentiality is, is, a, is a critical step to any investigation for a couple reasons. One is uh, that employees who are interviewed, want to, if they're going to get involved, they want to make sure that their involvement is not broadcast throughout the workplace. So you, and, and you don't want them... Uh, likewise, to be broadcasting it in the workplace. So you make sure as an investigator, you tell them that the proceedings as part of the investigation are completely and wholly confidential to the extent necessary and um, relevant. Sometimes confidentiality can't be completely kept, but 
for purposes of those witness interviews, you want to make sure that they understand that. Uh, you want to also address with each one of those witnesses that no matter what they say to you as part of the investigation, they themselves will not be retaliated against either by um, the alleged harasser or anyone at the workplace. Their job is not affected. Um, they are participating to assist you in your investigation. Make sure you get them to tell you everything they know, everything they've seen, everything they've heard. In, the, the, the key is uh, to confidentiality that in the reason why I mentioned a, a moment ago that we can't keep things completely confidential, well, there's attorney-client privileged information that necessarily comes out of investigations. Um, there's Me Too implications. There's uh, a couple of uh, cases that are actually at the Court of Appeals level in the, in the Michigan court system that talk about um, confidentiality of, of, of need-to investigations. The key is you want to keep things on a need-to-know basis to, the, to all, any extent possible. And let the lawyers worry about attorney-client privilege and what is or shouldn't be confidential after things are immortalized at a later time. You also need to make sure that you indicate to that um, witness that the needs of the employer may require uh, some of that information that you're getting out of the investigation to be disclosed at some point in the future. Uh, again, the promise of confidentiality isn't 100%, but again, it is, it is tantamount to any good investigation. So, how do you want to go about doing an interview? Well, whether it is the complainant, whether it is the accuser, or whether it is a corroborating witness, you want to conduct an, uh, an investigation as follows. You introduce yourself as the investigator. You explain why the company is doing an investigation. You give a short statement about confidentiality, about non-retaliation, and, um, and the appreciativeness of their participation in the interview, you indicate to them that it is a neutral, objective process, that it is fact-gathering, that you are attempting simply to learn uh, what, the, what they know and uh, with, spe with specificity. The goal is to have an open and candid conversation. Um, again, uh, make sure they understand that their participation is not going to have any negative consequences to their job, that, that they will not be retaliated against, that either by anyone that they happen to be giving you information about, uh, or supervisors or management. If you are talking to a manager level or higher, at least here in the United States, um, you can certainly tell them that they have to keep that discussion confidential and that the discussions of the investigation is only going to be through you, the interviewer, uh, because managers can bind the company in any subsequent litigation 
or a subsequent charge of discrimination. Um, if you're talking to someone uh, lower than a manager level, uh, you need to make sure that that individual is protected in terms of what he or she does or does not say in the workplace. Uh, again, retaliation is the key. You want to open the interview by asking the interviewee to tell you when your question is not clear, if they don't understand it, or if they don't have any knowledge of the incident that you are actually investigating. Um, you want them to uh, ask you any questions that they may have with respect to the investigation or the process that is going through. And um, also confirm that they are not recording the conversation. And here in Michigan, specifically, it's not a bad idea for you to ask them if they are recording the conversation. Because in Michigan, uh, we have kind of a unique law where if you are a participant in a communication, in any kind of communication, whether it's by telephone or personal, if you are as long, as long as you are participating, you could surreptitiously record that conversation. So um, if you're going to be objective and if you want to conduct a good interview, not only tell them that you're not uh, recording the interview, but ask them if they are recording the interview. You don't want that to happen. Um, so here's a bonus tip. If you do not have one in your, um, either in your policies and procedures or in your handbook, you can consider implementing a no recording policy at the workplace. And therefore, you can also rely on that policy in doing your investigation and asking that folks do not record your conversations. All right, so let's talk for a few minutes about how do you ask the right questions when you're conducting your investigation here. And we're going to talk about what's called the funnel process or having funneled questioning. So here's what I want you all to picture. Picture a funnel, right, an inverse triangle. And so at the top of that funnel, you're going to start with your open-ended questions. And then the middle of that funnel is where you're going to ask your clarifying questions. And then to close that funnel, we're going to talk about your pinning down questions or how you close the door on your questioning. So let's start with that open part of the funnel, that open phase of questioning. Here's what you want to do, folks. You want to ask open-ended questions, broad, high-level questions that are going to get you all the relevant information that you need. When you ask your question, you need to make sure that your witnesses are actually answering the question you ask. Oftentimes, folks start talking, but they're not actually answering what you have asked, okay? Um, you are going to summarize the answer your witness gives you to make sure that, one, you understood your witness correctly, but also it gives your witness an opportunity to offer additional facts or information that they may have left out when they gave their initial answer. You're also going to help witnesses if they say something like, you know, I can't recall or I don't remember. And what you're going to do in those scenarios is you're going to say, well, what could I do to help you remember? Is there any document that might help, remember, uh, help refresh your memory? For example, was there an email sent on this topic? Um, is there a memo that you know exists? Or who else was maybe present that might have information to help you recall more facts that could help me investigate here? 
um, you're going to ask, do you remember anything else? You're basically giving your witness every opportunity to say everything they need to say to you about what they know. Now you're going to move to the clarification phase. This is when you're going to nail down the who, what, when, where, why. It's important that we don't interrupt our witness's train of thought, right? Let them get their whole answer out before you start pinning down these specifics. And don't be wedded to your outline, right? Listen to what your witness has to say and go down whatever path they take you because they could be providing you more information. You're also going to watch for cues. You're going to look for eye contact, gestures, body language, help you identify if your witness is comfortable. Are they being forthcoming? Do you need to change your style to help relax them so they give you more information? We want to be um, really pay attention to what our witnesses are telling us verbally, but also with their body cues. And then we're going to close off our questioning. We're going to close the door. We're going to pin down the final answer, and we're going to recap. Here's what you told me. Is there anything else you want to add? Is there any other information you need to give me? You need to ask the question, is there anything else, as many times as you need to until the answer is no. I've told you everything I know. You might ask it twice, three times, four times, five times. Doesn't matter. Ask it as many times as you need to until you get no. I've given you everything I know. Now, as you're going through the interview process, um, prior to starting your interviews, you're going to want a written outline of the allegations that are being made. And then with each allegation, you're going to want to have set forth the specific questions you need to ask each witness about that allegation. You also want to pay attention to new information or new issues or allegations that may come up during your interviews. And be prepared to go back to those new items later in time if you need to do some follow-up. Your questions um, should be thorough. They should be specific. You should know exactly what you're trying to get from each person. And you should also be documenting. So in addition to having a written outline of questions, you want to have written down um, all of your folks' responses during their interviews and perhaps even do a type summary at the end. Your written documentation should include all that basic information, your name, your title, your position, the person you're interviewing, their name, their title, the date of your interview, the location of your interview. You also want to make sure that you have documented the date of the incident you're investigating, the location of that incident, and make sure you ask questions such as, who are all the individuals who are involved in this issue? Um, what's the background of each person I'm interviewing? How long have they been with the company? How long have they been in their current position? Um, what are their basic job duties? You want to make sure that you understand names and titles of all the folks involved. Um, in addition to understanding, just clarifying what are the allegations and what additional information you need to know. So when you're documenting folks, you need to be writing objectively. You need to summarize what you've been told, and you want to have specific responses to specific questions. You should use quotes. So that way you're quoting what people are telling you. And make sure that you're getting all the relevant facts regarding witnesses' credibility so you have that down the line. What you don't want to do is you do not want to be making conclusions as to the facts or to credibility when you're in the investigation process. We're going to make conclusions at the end, right? But during that process, you're not making conclusions as to facts or credibility. 
Um, be careful about using shorthand um, or sticking too closely to your script because that will be an opportunity for you to miss out on information that could be critical to your investigation. We have a couple of questions that I think might be relevant for us to go over. So I'm, I want to toss one to Gary. Gary, what are your thoughts as to when an investigation should be handled internally versus by a third party and the advantages to having an investigation by a third party? One thought that comes to mind for me is if you have a high-level person at the company that's being investigated, like your president or your CEO, that's when you want to go outside to a third party. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that would be my first uh, response as well. In addition, uh, let's face it, um, you have to look internally at, at your HR department and say to yourself, honestly, am I equipped to handle this? Can I do this investigation? Uh, if the answer is you're not comfortable with it or you've never done it before and it's a very serious allegation, it may make sense for you to go outside the company. Uh, and again, like, like Jackie said, particularly for high-level individuals. Understand, however, that to the extent that you go to your uh, outside legal counsel to conduct that investigation, um, that certainly is a possibility. However, if the matter turns into litigation or a charge of discrimination in the future, that uh, attorney, whoever conducts that investigation, if you use a, 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 your outside counsel, can't represent you, uh, can't represent the company because they themselves are, in fact, witnesses then as part of that investigation. So you've got to be a little careful as to who you tap as a third party. I agree with that. Um, sort of picking along some additional questions we have, one, one listener asked, what do you do if a senior manager has tainted an investigation by going back to the accuser and disclosing confidential conversation that was held with management? So this is a sticky and really unfortunate situation. So the first thing you need to be looking at is if the senior manager has gone back to an accuser and disclosed confidential information, you're looking at having to discipline that senior manager, um, and depending on what has been disclosed, you could be looking at possibly needing to terminate their employment. As Gary said, you're opening every investigation with telling folks this is confidential and you are not to disclose any information. So if they're disclosing, it's a huge problem. You're also now, this manager has potentially set up your company for a retaliation claim because your accuser is going to say, yep, and this high-level manager came back to me and told me all this stuff, and that was retaliation. So you're looking at discipline, potential termination. You're also going to need to go back to that accuser um, or the person who has brought forth the complaint, and you're going to essentially apologize for that manager's behavior, say that they went outside the bounds of the investigation, that was not their role to go back to the complaining party, um, and that you need to make sure that the person who's complaining is set at ease by this manager's behavior. Um, but similarly, you want to make sure you know exactly what that manager told the complaining party, clarify anything that was inappropriate or wrong, um, and close that loop to make sure that your um, complaining party is, is now comfortable with what's going forward. Um, we were asked if it's necessary for business to have employee handbooks. What do you think, Gary? Um, look, it, they, are, they are important to, to create your policies so long as you follow them. Um, you know, a, a handbook is only as good as 
those who are administering it. So you can have great policies about confidentiality, about non-retaliation, about um, harassment in the workplace, about anti-discrimination, uh, but guess what? If the policies are not applied or not followed or not updated, uh, then the handbook actually hurts you. It's better to have nothing at that point. Um, but I always think that having a handbook is overall better because now you have a written document that you can rely upon in any uh, investigation or um, lawsuit in the future. I, I'm sorry, I, I saw another um, yeah. uh, question that came in here regarding investigations, and it says, is it better to have an employee complete a form when conducting an investigation. I, I think what they're asking for is, should the complainant put the complaint in writing? And, um, you know, that, that's a really interesting question, and it's one that I think is appropriate for both the complainant and the accused. Uh, when we conduct investigations, we need to make sure we get as much detailed information as possible, that we tell the complainant it's being taken seriously, that we tell the accused that this is a serious matter, um, that we're listening and we're asking open-ended questions. At the end of the day, uh, I like to see both a complainant and an accused write down their version of what happened. Um, a lot of times you'll see investigations where it's something more personal and not perhaps uh, actually accurate. And when you ask that complainant to sign his or her name to the complaint, um, they won't do it for that reason. So, uh, yes, you can certainly ask them and, uh, and have them sign both of their statements. On the other hand, if they don't, uh, it doesn't mean that you, can't, you shouldn't or can't conduct the investigation. Yeah. So, folks, just with the remaining you know, minutes left, I just want to note that some of you have some questions about the DOL overtime rule. Um, we are, you know, obviously, we are familiar with that. Gary and I will um, post to our LinkedIn profile some links about the DOL overtime rule, so that way you can have that knowledge and feel free to message us if you have any specific questions. And we'll try to tag Felicia in those posts as well. Awesome. And so, guys, I want to thank you so much, at least for this first half of the content podcast, and invite everyone to, you know, come back and join us on next week. The questions that, like they stated, didn't get answered during this first half, we will certainly answer it in the second half. And so be sure to join us next week for the recording uh, session on there. And in between this week and next week, if you have questions, like I said, they're going to put their information up on uh, the social media channels. Feel free to reach out to them directly. I use them, and they are a great firm to have on your side as a business owner. We wear a number of hats, but the one hat that we do not have is having that expertise from an employment attorney um, standpoint. And so they are great to work with. I can tell you from personal experience. Again, thank you guys so very much, and we look forward to you joining us again on next week. And keep your questions coming because I still have a bunch of questions that are still coming in. I promise I will get those questions over to them. Thank you again, and have a great day.